Greetings to City Life Church in Melbourne and to Pastor Andrew and all the team. Uh, I'm so sorry I can't be with you for this uh, opportunity to minister, but uh, here we are in New Zealand, and uh, I trust this message will be a blessing to you anyway. And uh, so tonight, let's open our hearts for what the Lord is going to say and do. And uh, I know that this uh, message will be very powerful and will help so many of you. I want to speak tonight on how to overcome the accuser, how to overcome the accuser. And uh, there's not one of us at any point in our life hasn't had accusations come, whether those accusations have been in our head and our thoughts uh, against ourselves, uh, belittling or in some way accusing us of this or that or something wrong, or we've had accusations come from people around us. But I want to share with you just what really lies behind it and how God can use this to bring development and growth and maturity in your life. So we're going to start off in Revelations chapter 12 and verse 10. Revelations 12 verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven. Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. And the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even unto death. So you notice here this uh, area, uh, this uh, being called the accuser of the brethren. The word accusation means literally to, uh, to charge someone with wrongdoing, to point out a fault. Uh, the word has the connotation of a law court where an, a prosecutor or a plaintiff has come and they're making allegations against you, uh, allegations in a court of law that has an outcome where you're either released uh, with blessing or you come under judgment and then there are consequences for you. So notice that uh, it says the accuser of the brethren. This is a title given to a demonic spirit. This is the type, one of the titles given to Satan himself. He's called the accuser of the brethren. And uh, we'll share some things about how to overcome in just a moment. Notice it says that his accusations are day and night. He continues day and night. So this is a constant, relentless activity that will continue until you learn how to overcome it. So either you are an overcomer who recognizes and deals with accusations in a godly way, and then you become stronger and your character becomes shaped, or you're a person who when accusations come, either in your own mind or through people that speak against you, it affects you negatively, and instead of growing through this experience, you are overcome and become embittered or angry in some way by what has happened to you. So we want to share how to overcome. Notice what it says here, they overcame him. So someone has to be an overcomer why wouldn't that someone be you? Why wouldn't you be the person that overcomes? And we'll show you exactly what is behind this and how to deal with it. I want you to look with me in 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to look at the Apostle uh, Peter and his teaching about this whole issue. And I'm going to show you uh, from the Word of God the nature of the warfare that you are involved with. Notice we may have accusations in our thoughts, we may have accusations from people around us, but ultimately there's a spirit being behind it who is set on destroying you. There is a warfare for your soul, a warfare for your destiny and future. So I'm going to read for you just a few verses out of 1 Peter chapter 5, 
And we're going to look at the teaching that uh, the Apostle Peter gives, particularly about this area of overcoming accusation. And uh, he's writing from personal experience. The background to this, he's writing a letter to one of the churches to strengthen and encourage the church. But in the back of his mind, he's thinking back to an incident that happened sometime before in Luke 22, where it says uh, Peter uh, is with Jesus, and Jesus says, Peter, Peter, Simon, he says, that Satan has desired or asked permission to sift you like wheat, and he's gained that permission. But I have prayed for you that after uh, you've been converted, you will strengthen the brethren. Your faith may not fail, and you'll be converted and strengthen the brethren. So notice Peter is being warned ahead of time that there's an area of his life where he's vulnerable to being charged or accused. This is the area of pride, overconfidence. His immediate response is, no, 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 I'd never do that. Everyone else would, but not me. So there's a root of pride in his heart, and he's now about to face an attack by Satan, the accuser, who's accusing him before God. This man has pride in his heart. I have a right to sift him, and that permission is given. And you know what happened then. So Jesus has foreseen this. He has prayed that uh, his faith doesn't fail. He has prayed that he'll be converted through this experience. And then he prayed that he would strengthen the brethren. So this passage here I'm going to read now is Peter writing from his experience to strengthen the brethren. And he's writing very much in mind, within mind, what has happened to him. So let's have a look at it. And uh, we read it in 1 Peter 5, and we'll read it in verse, uh, uh, just in the end of verse 5. He says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in faith, knowing the same uh, sufferings are experienced by your brethren in the world. Now, I'm just going to stop there for the moment. And uh, I want to share with you first some things about the warning. The first thing we want to look at is the apostolic warning. So Peter is, from his experience as an apostle, his experience of failure is now setting forth a warning. Now notice what his warning is. He says, be sober, be vigilant. Here it is. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So here are his warnings. Number one, the first thing he says is, you have a spiritual adversary. You have an adversary. It's the devil himself. And he says, uh, that word adversary means an opponent in a law court, someone who is accusing you of a fault or a failure. So he's writing to believers, you have an accuser. So wherever you're sitting watching this message right now, whether it be in the church or whether you're online, you have an accuser. There is a spirit being assigned to you that operates to bring accusations against you. We're going to see more about that in just a moment. Now, what he says, your adversary, you have a spiritual adversary. Second thing, your spiritual adversary or your true adversary is not people. Your true adversary is not just your thoughts. Your true adversary is an invisible spirit being. It's a spirit being that is real, but you cannot see it 
with your natural eyes. You can only discern it if the Holy Spirit gives you that capacity to do that. But you can recognize what it is doing. You have a spiritual adversary. It's a spirit being. Notice he says, your adversary is the devil, meaning a false accuser. Now, the devil is not at all interested in you. Uh, the hierarchy in the spirit realm, uh, in the demonic spirit realm, there's a hierarchy of spirits, uh, some spirits that over nations, some over regions, some over areas, some right down to those who afflict you. you these are the low-level devils that afflict you. But what he's saying is the nature of this affliction is accusation, laying a charge against you in a court in order to find some advantage or hold against you. So that, that word there, false accuser, that word devil means a false accuser. Let me define, read what it, it's defined to be. It means to uh, expose you, to blame or to accuse you, to blame you and to shame you. So what it's saying there, the very nature of the devil is to put shame and blame on you. It means literally to uh, put shame and blame on you by falsehood or by misrepresentation. Sound familiar? People misrepresenting what you've said, people falsely accusing you. That's the nature of this specific demonic attack. It means to make false or malicious statements concerning you. They're not true and they have an evil intention behind them. It means literally, uh, it, uh, it, it, it makes statements to cause humiliation and shame and disgrace. So, we see very powerful just in that, 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 that verse there. You have an adversary, the devil. So in the invisible spirit realm, demons are assigned to attack you. And one of the weapons they use is accusation against you. And that accusation may come by thoughts entering your head. They don't originate from God. They don't originate from you. They originate from a demonic being, a demonic spirit, but you, unless you discern that sort of origin, you may let them reside in your mind and it will affect your emotions and your standing with God. So they may come as thoughts into your head or it may come through people that make false accusations against you. And when Peter was writing, this is the very thing that was happening to Christians. Okay, the third thing we, we, uh, we see in this verse here, it says, your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. Now, it doesn't say he is a lion. In fact, he isn't. It says he's like a warring lion. And a roaring lion seeks to intimidate. So when a lion roars, animals can sometimes be petrified and overcome with fear by just the sound that they hear. And it's the same. It says he walks about. Now, that word walkabout means literally this. If you look up the original language, it means to circle around you like an animal would circle its prey, looking for an opportunity. It also means to follow you around. And it has the meaning also of being a full-time occupation. So as we open up this verse, you start to get a tremendous insight to the spirit world. There are demons assigned to you, and they follow you around. They observe your life. They observe your behavior. What else do they do? It says... Um, uh, it says uh, here uh, in verse uh, 8 again, it says he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So that word seeking means literally to crave or to demand or to long for 
It also means to formulate plots or schemes. We read in other places in the Bible that we're not, to be, uh, we're not unaware of the schemes of the devil. So he's saying that as the demons circle you, they are observing your life and they're looking for opportunities in order that they can overcome or devour you or take away what's precious that God intends you to have. So now you're getting a, a, a clear picture from this verse here of the nature of this warfare that goes on around you. Uh, now, how does this actually work out in practice? How does it work out in practice? And then how can we overcome that? Because there's some specific things that Peter gives us by way of a strategy to deal with accusations, and I'll share those with you shortly. So we've seen then the uh, warning of uh, Peter, the apostle, of the nature of this conflict. Now, the second thing we look at then is how does it actually work out in practice? So this is how it works in practice. When you were born into this world, you were born for a purpose. You were born for something God had intended you to have. And once you are born, you potentially will become a child of God. You potentially will become a king and a priest unto God. You, you, you potentially will take over territory and cause the uh, devil's kingdom to be displaced. So you represent a threat. So even prior to your birth, but certainly around the time of your birth, demonic spirits are assigned to you and they're assigned against you. And they're assigned with these things in mind. One, they want to hinder you coming to Christ. That's why there's a warfare to come to Christ. The mind is blinded or, or just confused, like smoke is around it. We don't understand the gospel initially until someone prays and brings us through. Secondly, uh, demons will then sabotage your relationship with Christ. So you may be sitting there and you've already come to Christ, but you're having many struggles in your walk with God, maybe... What you're experiencing is a warfare to stop you being intimate, to stop you connecting, because the devil knows that out of your relationship with the Lord, that's how you're going to start to advance and overcome in his kingdom. And then finally, he seeks to frustrate your destiny or your purpose or the assignment God has given you. And I'll share a little bit more about that in another message. So number one, demonic spirits are assigned to you. Number two, uh, we notice here that demonic spirits are familiar with your life. If I was to watch you every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I would soon learn a lot about you. I'd learn from what you said. I'd learn from how you respond. I'd learn from how you react. So demons that are assigned to you watch and observe you, and so they can see certain things about your life. They know your background, so if there are legal rights to access your life from your background, they'll seek to gain access. And number two, they watch your lifestyle, so they see the life you live, whether it's a set-apart life, whether it's a compromised life. You may be able to sit in church and fool people, but you cannot fool the spirit world. It is observing you as you really are all the time. You are visible to the spirit world. Think about this. When Jesus first came into the temple to preach in the synagogue, in Luke 4, the only one who recognized who he was was the demon. The people didn't see the true nature of Jesus, but the demon could recognize him because it saw him not through natural eyes, but from the eyes of the spirit world. Okay, so demons can watch your background. They watch your responses when things happen. 
They watch what you turn to when you're in pain. They're observing you. And when they observe you, they can then begin to formulate conclusions about how you'll react in certain situations and plan their strategy accordingly. They watch where you're vulnerable. They watch where you fail. In fact, they're watching all the time. And so they are very aware of any opportunities or vulnerabilities in your life and their planning and their plots are to try and catch you in the areas you're vulnerable. The third thing, demonic spirits devise strategies. We saw that in that verse in, in 1 Peter. And so what do they do? What are their strategies? Well, they will tempt you to believe a lie. I'm no good. I'm a failure. God doesn't care about me. Nobody loves me. So demons will fill your mind with lies. If you'll accept the lie, it will begin to affect the course of your life. Uh, demons will lie to you about God. They'll lie to you about pastors. They'll lie to you about people. They'll lie to you about anything. So they lie to us. They tempt us to believe a lie. And uh, another way they deal with it, they tempt us to sin. They tempt us to believe if I do that, I'll really feel good or this will make me happy. And then, of course, we find after that where we, we, it didn't bring what we thought. It was only temporary. And then here's the strategy. They then accuse you. So after demons have tempted you, then they will accuse you. And they'll hold your failure. They'll hold even the fact that you thought of doing it. Uh, they'll hold that against you and constantly barrage you. They'll remind you over and over and point out your failures. So if you have thoughts that come that remind you of your failures, that point out your lacks, that find out and remind you of everything wrong with you that's lacking in you, that causes you to look at other people and compare yourself and find yourself lacking, that's accusing spirits and you are allowing them to work in your life. They are overcoming you. You're not overcoming them. You are actually listening to them rather than shutting them down and prevailing against them. So once we understand what is coming against us, then we can learn God's weapons of war, how to overcome them. So uh, they attack us with one of the key areas they attack us with shame. Remember we said that the, the accuser attacks us with negative thoughts or accusations or allegations to put blame or shame on us. So blame is, uh, the, is, uh, is a feeling of guilt because I did something wrong. Demons will push that on you. And if you'll come into agreement with it and not take God's step out of it, it will start to overcome you. Demons will also accuse you that you are the problem. They put shame on you. Shame attacks your identity. Something's wrong with me. I'm the problem. I can never do anything right. And, and that's what demons do. They'll attack your identity, keeping you focused on what you were and not on who you are and where you're going. They keep you locked to your past and remind you of your past, accusing you of all the failures. So we need to recognize these strategies so that we uh, don't uh, focus on our lacks and our inabilities and our failures, but rather we focus on the goodness of God and what Christ has done, and we begin to take hold of that victory, apply it into our life, and break through and have the victory over these things. So uh, in this uh, passage here, uh, we see also that Peter gives apostolic strategies for overcoming the accuser. We saw a little bit of that in Revelations 12. I'll come back to that. But I want to just talk to you now about the advice that he gives. So Peter gives an apostolic warning. Now he gives apostolic advice. So let me show you several things to the advice. Number one, he says, humble yourself. Notice what he says there in verse 6. Humble yourself. In other words, surrender 
to the Lord. Don't, don't be big in your own thinking about how capable you are. Don't be proud and independent, but rather lean into God in dependency on him to help you because God will give grace. He will empower you to overcome if you've got humility, but if you're proud, if you're independent, if you think you can do it, he'll let you do it and he'll be even resisting you all the way. So he says, God gives grace to the humble. So he says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Lean upon the Lord. Lean upon and put your cares on him. Because sometimes we get stressed out. He says, cast your cares. A care is an anxiety. It's a worry, something that's <clears throat> dividing your mind up. He says, cast it onto the Lord. Push it aggressively. Give it to him. He cares for you. And then he gives some specific strategies about dealing with the accuser. And he says, be sober, be vigilant. That word sober means literally stay calm, stay collected, stay at peace. Don't get agitated. A person who's sober has got a clear mind. A person who's drunk has lost his balance and is unaware of all the things happening around them. So it's saying spiritually, stay sober, stay clear-headed. If something's taking away your peace, something's disturbing you, Take notice of it, you need to take an action to deal with it. Then he says, be vigilant. Well, what does that mean? Now, the word vigilant is the word to be like a watchman, to be alert, to be aware or, or uh, uh, have, have self-awareness. What, what, what are we looking for? We're to look around for devils? No, that's not what he's saying. You don't go looking around for devils. They'll find you if you're doing the work of the Lord. They'll be there. No, no, no. What, 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 you, what he's saying to, to be vigilant is to be vigilant over your own heart, over what's happening in your internal life. The Bible says, guard your heart diligently, for out of your heart flow the borders or boundaries or limitations of your life, Proverbs 4.23. So we are to be vigilant about our own heart. We're to be vigilant about the thoughts going on in our life. We're to be vigilant about the emotions that are coming around our life, we're to be vigilant about the struggles we're feeling on the inside. Now, many people, instead of being vigilant about what's happening inside them, try to fill their lives with busyness, and they just don't connect to the real war that's going on inside. They're like medicating themselves with busyness and activities, family, work, ministry, whatever, instead of taking note, hey, there's a struggle going on in my heart, there's a struggle in my thoughts, there's a struggle in my emotions. I need to face it. I need to actually, this is my battle. And if I neglect it, it's going to break out in some actions or things I never really wanted to happen. So he's saying, be sober and be vigilant. And then the next thing he tells you, which is, now notice these are, these are act, action words. He says, be vigilant. He says then, resist. Now here's the thing, resist steadfast or consistently in faith. In other words, he requires that if you're going to overcome the enemy, if you're going to overcome accusations, if you're going to overcome demonic invasion of your mind and emotions, you must be proactive in resisting. Some people have the thinking, well, you know, that's all just stuff out there. It doesn't affect me. Oh, it affects you all right. If you won't resist, you will be overcome. And you won't even realize you've been overcome. When he says resist, he says make an active stand to resist and come against all demonic invasion of your life. Now, that's not passive. In the kingdom of God, there's no passivity. 
kingdom of God, there's no neutrality. In the kingdom of God, there's no place to just hang back and see what God does. Nothing comes to you that way. There's got to be desire and we have to be proactive. Jesus taught the kingdom of heaven suffers violence or suffers for forceful men press in to take hold of the kingdom of God. So if I want to get victory, I have to take hold of it and I have to be assertive against demonic spirits that war against me. Make sense to you? So notice he says resist, resist. It's a spiritual warfare. It's a warfare for the peace. If you're not living in peace, you're in a war. If there's conflict going on in your heart and soul, you're in a war. This is what the war is about. When the kingdom of God is present and active and having dominion in your life, Romans 14 says, we're rightly related to God, righteousness, and there's peace, and there's a joy the Holy Ghost gives. See, So you can actually tell or be vigilant about your life. If I'm living at peace, if I'm living right with God and with people, and if there's a joy of the Lord around me, then the kingdom is manifesting. I'm living and kingdom life, kingdom power, kingdom dominion. But if those things are taken from you, then you know something is going wrong. Be vigilant and attend to it. Resist or take the action you need to take. So notice what he says to do. He says for us to resist. Now, resistance requires I actually take some form of action. Now, we were reading earlier on and uh, we're reading in Revelations chapter 12 and verse 10 and 11. It says, now the accuser of the brethren is cast down, violently hurled down, who accused uh, the brethren day and night before our God. And it says, and they, who's they? They are the believers. They overcame him. Who did they overcome? They overcame the accuser. How did they overcome the accuser? It says three things. Number one. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Number two, they overcame him by the word of their testimony. And number three, they love not their lives unto death. So let me just uh, help you understand how these things are actually, or what they mean and how they're applied. Now, number one, you notice he says, they overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. They overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Now, in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14 and 15, Colossians 2, 14 and 15, it says, at the cross, at the cross, Jesus' work on the cross, it says, he has forgiven us all our trespasses, taking away the list of transgressions or the list that was contrary to us and against us and nailed it to the cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a triumph over them openly. Now, what is it saying? It's saying, at the cross, Jesus took all of our failures, all of the things that we have done wrong, our failures, any curses on our life, every area where there would be legal access of a demon to you, Jesus took it to the cross and then removed it as a weapon of the devil against you. He spoiled principalities and powers. That means he took away all their weapons of war Everything they could use against you to defeat you, he took it from them. And not only that, he has also raised us up to be in a realm of authority, seated in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, far above every principality and power. So how does that work out? What it means is this, that wherever you failed in your life, in your past, whatever accusation the devil would bring against you, 
the blood of Jesus Christ covers and cancels that. If we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9 says, He is faithful, He is just, He will forgive our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if the devil has got any place in your life to accuse you of failure, accuse you of making a mistake, accuse you of this or that, you can bring it clearly to the cross, confess it to him, the blood of Christ cancels the accusation. Or putting it another way like this, if you appeared in court and you were accused of something and you have done it, and then your defense lawyer comes and said, yes, he's guilty of this, However, I have paid the fine. Then there's no more charge left against you. So what the Bible is making clear is that when it comes to accusations of the devil coming into your mind, you must make a strong stand. Any place of failure, any place of compromise, repent quickly, bring it to the cross so the blood of Christ can cancel all legal rights against you. Secondly, they overcame him by the word of their testimony. You must learn to speak. The word of your testimony means you speak. You need to speak and declare what the, what the blood of Jesus Christ has done. So if an accusation comes to you, if there's some truth to it, if there's some basis for it, quickly bring it to the cross, bring it under the covering of the blood. Now there's no place for it to operate. You can now stand. I speak to that accusing spirit. I silence you in Jesus' name. My sin and failure is under the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation to those in Christ who walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh. I reject that accusation in Jesus' name. Be quiet. You can literally speak, and that Spirit will listen to what you say because He knows it's true. He'll yield, and those voices that constantly come against you will eventually subside because you have overcome them. Isn't that very, very powerful? Very, very powerful. Now, there's another aspect. You notice it said they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. That's by applying what Jesus did to my life so my life is clean and cleansed and void, free of all accusations, grounds for accusation. Number two, I need to speak and declare it. And so we speak it in our prayer, in our times of prayer. Father, I come to you by the blood of Jesus Christ. I stand as a child of God. I stand boldly in your presence. We've got to apply, we've got to speak these things out. When we speak them out, this is our testimony of what the Lord has done. The power of God is released through that testimony. Uh, if the devil attacks your mind with accusations, I reject that accusation. I'm cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I forbid that demonic attack. You've got to be quite assertive in this. Now notice the third thing it says, they, they love not their lives unto death. So what is that referring to? Well, that's referring primarily not to accusations uh, that come into your thoughts and life because of your own failures. That's referring to the false accusations that people bring against you. And that happens to us. In the days uh, uh, that Peter is writing, of course, the church was under immense persecution. All of the first letter of Peter is how to handle the dishonor and the shaming uh, that is in the culture because they're Christians. And so uh, he understands that there's an importance that we love not our life unto death. What does that mean? It means literally, I need to surrender my life and put it in the Lord's hands and leave the outcomes of this to him. What does that look like? Well, when people come and people attack you, people falsely accuse you, 
then what is important to do is that you forgive them and you bless them. Forgive them and bless them. If you don't do something about those false accusations, they hurt you, they begin to speak to you, they begin to torment you, and if there's a place of unforgiveness or a place of grief or pain, an unresolved thing in your heart, then they sit there. And so to love not your life unto death means that you put to death, you bring to the cross ungodly reactions of anger, injustice, offense, uh, ways that we typically react when someone upsets us or treats us unjustly. You know, when you're treated unjustly or someone speaks against you, makes false accusations, our first response is to feel angry. And then our second response is to try and attack them and prove they're wrong and prove we're right. So to love not your life unto death means to follow the pattern of Jesus, who when he was accused falsely, when he was attacked, he said nothing, but he committed the keeping of his soul to his father. In other words, instead of reacting, he brought it all to the father and let the father deal with it. You say, well, God, why would God let something like that happen to me? <laughs> well, why not? God is wanting to grow your character. God is wanting to change your heart. God is wanting to get pride out of your heart and build the character of Christ, which is a meek and a humble heart. That's what Jesus said. He has a meek and a humble heart. That's why God used him so powerfully, because his heart and his character were so established in God. So how does God do that for you? Well, he allows accusations and things to arise against you, and then he watches what happens in your heart and in your life as these things come up. And you can either act in a godly way and grow, or you can act, react in an ungodly way and you fail the test and you miss your promotion. Let me, I want you to see something here. And we go back into that uh, 1 Peter chapter 5 again. It says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Now, when people attack us, we are being put down and we want to get back up. We want to feel back up level, if not higher. What he's saying is, he said, rather than out of pride, try to defend yourself against the accusations, learn to lean into God and be silent in the face of them and trust him with your life. That's how you develop meekness. That's how you develop humility. And notice what it says, in due time. In other words, it's not an immediate thing. So you can, you can come against accusing thoughts and they'll go immediately, but this is God's process to grow you. It's not going to go immediately. He says, when the time is right, God will bring you through into a place of promotion, into a place of enlargement. If you look at all of the men of God and the great men of God in the Bible, they all suffered false accusations. Think about it. You can go through the Bible and they were accused falsely and God used the false accusations as a way of deepening their humility, their surrender, their dependence. And as they did that, then God lifted them up. Notice what it says. Uh, it says, resist them steadfast in faith, knowing the same suffering experienced by your brethren in the world. And may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ, after you've suffered a while. Here it is. After you've gone through this process of experiencing the pain of 
misunderstanding, injustice, false accusations, people talking about you, those kind of things. It's after you've gone through that suffering, it is a suffering, it's painful. If we respond right, then what happens is God perfects us or matures us. He establishes us. He strengthens us. He settles us. In other words, he establishes us in our character and our heart so we can handle the promotion he's prepared for us. How amazing is this? So the accuser comes in different ways, but primarily he comes to bring blame and shame so you're separated from God, defeated, and come under the power of those things. We are to resist them actively. Stand up. If there is a real failure, bring it to the cross. Repent, bring it under the blood, and then speak strongly to the spirits, speak strongly to the accusing uh, spirits, and silence them in Jesus' name. However, if these are false accusations coming from the environment, coming from misunderstandings or whatever, trying to prove you're innocent or right will make this worse for you. We need to follow God's process. And God has a process. And we surrender to him. We forgive the people. We grieve over what's happening. And then we bless the people that have hurt us. And commit the keeping of our soul to our Father in heaven. As you do that, God's grace enters your life. Your heart develops godly characteristics of meekness and humility. Your character becomes strengthened and established. And you have passed the test. And God is able to then lift you up and promote you. What does that promotion look like? Well, it may mean an advancement in an area of your life. It may mean an increase of anointing. It may mean a breakthrough in prophetic revelation. Uh, God's got so many ways he wants to bless us. But I can assure you that any person who desires to live godly, to walk with the Lord and fulfill their call, this is what's going to happen. The accuser will come against you. He will look for every way to attack you. He will attack your past. He'll attack where you've come from. He will attack your failures. He will attack the things, the areas where you're hurting from things that were done to you. He'll attack the places where you've been traumatized. He will bring all kinds of accusations to bring guilt that you've done lots of wrong things and no one could really do anything with a person like you. He'll try and attack your identity to bring shame and accuse you. You're not the kind of person God could use. Who do you think you are? All those kinds of barrage of thoughts that we so frequently have. And we must learn how to step up, recognize them, and then push back on them. You push back by first removing the legal grounds of the cross, and then by speaking and confronting the demons. If the attack comes through people around us, no matter who they are or wherever they are, you have to learn to do what Jesus did. We surrender our heart, our soul, our keeping of our life to our Father in heaven, and then we forgive people, we bless them, and we persevere knowing this is only a short season and it will be followed by God expanding us and lifting us up, both in this age and in the coming kingdom age. I pray the Lord will bless you wherever you're watching this from. Are you struggling in your heart, living condemned or accused or the devil has an access to your life by things that you've done or have been done to you? You don't have to live that way. You don't have to tolerate that anymore. The Bible says very clearly, Jesus did not come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. Whatever your mistakes and failures, Jesus does not condemn you. 
He does not accuse you. He invites you to repent and be healed and forgiven. The woman caught in adultery, all these men were around her to accuse her. Jesus said, I, help, I do not accuse you at all. He was the only one who could really accuse her, and he did not. His heart was to restore her. So is there an error in your life you're in pain? Why don't you, after you've watched this message, have a time to think and reflect, where am I vulnerable in my life? Is there some area that I've kept secret that I now need to bring to the cross, to the blood, for cleansing? And I need to fight and push back the guilt in that area. Is there an area of shame? And I need to bring my shame to the cross and then reject accusations. Or are you going through a season right now where you're pressured, uh, people seem to have abandoned you, you've got accusations coming that are unfair, there's injustice happening, and everything in you is reacting. That is the place God is wanting you to grow. That's where he's watching over you, the trying of your faith at this time is precious to him, more precious than gold. So think about that. God is wanting to develop the nature of his son in you. And so he does take each of us through these kind of difficulties. We are to resist steadfast in faith. Make a stand. Refuse to come under those accusations and condemnation. Refuse to react. Persevere. Just hold on until God gives you the breakthrough. And hold on to the word of God, that in due time, he will lift me up. The Lord bless you. Let me just pray for you now. Father, right now, in Jesus' name, I pray for each person watching. I stand against the accusing spirit. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command every accusing spirit, every spirit that's bringing blame, blame because of failure, blame because of family issues, blame because of marriage issues, blame because of financial failure, blame because of failure in education, blame because of mistakes that have been made. I reject that spirit right now. I command you to depart from each person listening now. I break the hold of that accusation over you in Jesus' name. I release peace. I declare over your life, there is now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. God bless you with peace and grace. Amen.